I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer. My guest this week is Tristan White. Tristan is the author of the book, Culture is Everything, which is a bestseller. He's the founder and CEO of a company called The Physioco, or TPC as well referred to it, which helps the aged healthcare community. And the business has been voted one of Australia's top 50 places to work for the last 10 years. He's started off as a physiotherapist in 2004, and since then has grown his organization over the last 15 years, as I've just discovered, to 140 employees with an enviable culture. He's also a coach. He's a speaker. He has his own podcast called Think Big, Act Small. I've got a fantastic blog, which is on his website, all of which we'll link to in the show notes. And somewhere in amongst all of that, he finds time to be father to three kids, a doting husband, and I believe an Ironman triathlete as well. You've done at least one, so that qualifies you. So Tristan, welcome to the show. Leanne, thank you. It's fantastic to be here to to have a chat to you and your audience. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks for making the time. So let's go straight into it, really. I mean, describe for us, we talked a bit about the context before we came on air. I think a lot of people listening either run their own business or they're within a business interested in how culture impacts on well-being, which impacts on performance and that whole sort of chain of events. Describe to us first, though, how you got from being a, a physiotherapist as a sole trader, I presume, to where you are now and, and how your sort of evolution has affected your views on culture and the culture that you've built. Yeah. So Leanne, quick backstory and how I discovered culture is that as a physiotherapist, I had a early career dream that I would be an elite sports physiotherapist working with sports people, mm. helping them to be to and effectively football players here in Australia, Australian rules football players who I would help to run faster, jump higher, tackle harder. That was the goal for me. And I had a very early head versus heart challenge in my career my head telling me that the elite sports direction was the right direction for me and my heart reassuring me that it just wasn't for me and I wasn't getting the the satisfaction or the career enjoyment out of that type of work. Mm. And so I had a very early career pivot and that was from elite sports to the ugly duckling of the health world being working with older people, helping them stay mobile, safe and happy. For many other people, it was the ugly duckling. For me, it was the right place for me. I just loved working with older people, helping them to improve their health and their independence in their lives. Mm. And that's when I started the business. It was just me. And I realized there was a real opportunity to build a job that I loved and then to employ other people. And slowly but surely, I built a small team over the next few years, Leanne. But I absolutely didn't know what culture was at that point. And it wasn't until about the fifth year mark of that business when I had a small team and I found myself as the owner being quite stuck as a very reactive type of boss or leader that I realized there had to be a better way. Mm. I went searching for what, what that could be. Just before you go there, how would you go? Of course, we always have a culture. Mm. It may be toxic. It may be yes. bland, but there is one. How would you have described the culture at that point? I'll describe it as reactive. 
mm. would have been the, the culture I've described. And so what I've learned now, Leanne, and this, this is years on, but I've realised that, as you say, there is a culture, but it's either by default or it's by design. Mm. And in that early days, I absolutely had a culture by default because I didn't even know what a culture was, let alone how to design it. But the result of a culture by default is one where the owners and the managers are forever reactive and firefighting. And it's a very time-intensive way to lead a team yeah. as opposed to what I've learned that a culture by design can create. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of where I was at that stage. Cool. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, it's okay. It's, uh, and, and so what I realized at that stage is I was, I was completely stuck. I was reactive. I really wasn't enjoying what I, was, what I was doing. I thought the options were this entrepreneur thing wasn't for me. I needed to leave or I needed to find a solution. Uh, I opted for the latter and I, I went on a short sabbatical up to North America from here in Australia. I engaged with some other seniors health businesses who had been able to scale much bigger than I had. And I came back with this much clearer understanding of a values-based business and using core values as a real foundation of a strong culture to enable future growth and freedom for both myself as the owner, but also for the team members to be empowered to do great work without having to check with the boss on everything. Mm. Uh, And that was the starting point for me as to how I become dare I say it, obsessed with how I can build the biggest, the best culture I can within our team. And we've gone from 20 team members at that point way through to about 140 or so at the moment. Mm. What were some of the things that you learned about culture? So what I learned was that like any many other things in a, in a team or a business, culture can be systemized. There are some key foundations of a, of a culture that can be put in place and you can have a rhythm or a ritual around the culture. And so some important parts of the culture, in my experience, is a really compelling core purpose or a why, as Simon Sinek might describe it, mm-hmm. why business exists. Then a set of core values, between three and five core values, which really are the behaviours we expect in this business. And lastly, a really clear vision as to where the business is headed. I really, I felt they're the critical factors, Leanne, and what I think, the way I describe it is like a, a small house. A, a, if you think of the design of a house and you, you picture a drawing of a house with a floor, some walls and a peaked roof, and I sort of see the core purpose is like the floor of the, of the house. I see the behaviours or the core values as the walls of the house mm-hmm. and then I see the vision, the peaked roof of the house. And when team members are clear on those parts of a, of a culture, then they are empowered to have freedom within boundaries to exist within that house um, boundaries, but they understand what's expected of them and how they can contribute to the team and to the culture and to the business. Love it. What was the impact or what was the response of your team members and your clients as well to this shift towards a better and more effective culture? So I guess there's two parts to that, Leanne. And the, the first part is that when it was first, I found the solution that I was looking for, and that is a, a values-based business. And I, I worked hard with myself and my wife and a small number of the senior members of our team to discover this core purpose, core values, and describe the vision. Then once that was complete, I shared it with the wider team of, of about 20 people. And at that stage, Leanne, about 17 of them were like, phew, thank goodness we've now got some actual direction and got some clarity as to what's expected. And it was really quite empowering for and exciting for many of the team, but not everyone because at that moment overnight changed the goalposts as to where we were, what was expected. Mm. And there were three members of the team who were like, hey, hang on, 
this is not for me. What are you doing this for? I liked it the way it was with effectively no direction or no behaviours and make it up as, as we go. And that was a bit of a challenge. I engaged directly with, with each of those people one-on-one to support them and, and listen and understand their challenges. But ultimately, those three people decided that working somewhere else was better for them. And we parted company. The 17 remaining team members pushed on and we've grown significantly since then. And I think it's really enabled us to speed up the growth for our team which ultimately means that we can help more senior people to be more mobile, safe and happy, which is the purpose of what we're about in the the long term. Mm. And I want to ask you how you you scale the culture. I guess it's either what the culture spur on the growth and and how did the the growth fit into the culture, as it were. But before that, talk about some of the things you actually did, because I know you've you've got a culture book, the latest copy of which is just hot off the press. Explain to us what that is. But also, I think you named some of your rooms after key people, either in your industry and your business. I'm sure you'll elaborate. I know that you celebrate with a party. You do lots of sort of personal touches like handwritten cards for birthdays and anniversaries. Just just talk to us a bit about all the things that you do that make up this amazing culture. Yeah. So I've already mentioned the, the big parts, if you will, the, the foundational parts of purpose, values, vision. Yeah. But I think that, so to talk to a few of those things you've mentioned it's the sum of the small things that we do over and over and over, which builds a trusting and caring culture that we've worked on. I also think it's really important to realise that a strong culture typically has its own language. And I think that that's, that's really important. So understanding that you can use a monthly newsletter, for example, is called TPC Talk. Quite simply, the Physio Co Talk, it's got a name, it's related to what we're about. We've got a, a name for our a long-term goal, and that's our 10-year obsession that we're working towards over a 10-year period of time. Jim Collins might have described that as a big, hairy, audacious goal. Yep. We, we give it our own title and our own name. But some of those little things we've, we've spoken about is, yeah, you do all this work on building a strong culture. I reckon one of the most important things we have to do is capture the memories. And one way that we capture the memories is by putting together a little yearbook that we call our culture book. And it's a completely borrowed idea from Tony Shea of Zappos. Yep. I learned this from, from him. I went to the Tony Shea tour of the Zappos campus in Las Vegas. I saw it. I loved it. And I brought it back and I've been doing it ever since. It's a little book, photos of our team, photos of our parties, quotes of our team members as to what's important to them about their work and a little year in review, if you will. Who gets a copy of that? Because it's not just the staff, is it? Your, your team. No, it's not. So I'm holding a um, the 2019 version right now, which only arrived yesterday. Mm. And this Friday is our all person in all team in person event where everyone comes together, and all team members will get a copy of that of that brand new book, and, and um, they'll be excited to check out their own photos and quotes and stuff in there on Friday. <laughs> but we absolutely use it to give it to clients and give it to future team members. And probably the most powerful thing we do is a PDF version goes up on our website and anyone, everyone can grab a copy and and have a sneaky peek, if you will, inside the Physio Co, which is what we're about, is sharing what we're about with the world to hopefully attract more people to come and and join our organisation. I think it's a really, really smart move. Now, as I mentioned to you before we went on air, we run my company, Body Shop, on these monthly boardroom sessions and everybody is interested in this PDF. We send it out as a follow-up because I know obviously it's publicly available on your website. It's a very smart idea and it is literally a picture book of what it's like to work there. I think it's a great idea. What's the sort of response you get to it? So the response that we get is that 
it feels like there is a real positivity and energy around not only our team, but people sort of I love to, to I, know, I think we're all like to peer inside the, the mm. other people teams or businesses or lives and I think that people love the transparency that comes by by sharing this sort of thing that's from people outside our business and people inside our business mostly are just excited to be published and see themselves in uh, mm. in the book is pretty exciting and so for example this year's book and I know this because I looked at it yesterday on page 53 there was a photo of our accountant her name is Anushi and there's a photo of her and her husband and their little son from our Christmas party in the end of last year and that is captured on page 53 with her quote. And I handed her a copy yesterday and I said, Anushi, this is a sneaky peek for you. Check it out. But I think you'll like page 53. And she checked it out and she just loved it. And she's taking it home to show her husband. And it's just, it builds a whole sense of pride mm. that I never really expected from a book to capture memories of, of the mm. year. Yeah. Lovely idea. What, so go ahead. What else do you do? Oh, look, you mentioned naming rooms. And again, again, this is a borrowed idea, but we've got in our, our central office here in South Melbourne, we've got four separate meeting rooms or spaces that are named after important people in, in our business history. One of them is named the John D. Rockefeller Room. The John D. Rockefeller Room is, is named after Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, which is a, a book that I read more than 10 years ago, which really helped set in motion the rhythm of meetings and, and communication that we've got at the PhysioCo. So we capture that idea. We've got a, a name of a room that's called the Ben Hosking Room. Ben Hosking is a mentor of mine who helped me build the business plan of the Physio Co. way back in 2004, mm. and he continues to be a mentor in my life, and he's, got an, a, he's the only living person with a room named after him at the Physio Co., which he's very proud of. And the, the last two named rooms are actually the names of elderly clients that I personally worked with in the very first years of the Physio Co to capture the memories of Marjorie and George, who were important older people that helped to form the, the basis of the Physio Co. So that's an important part of the history. And a sort of joke, but it's sort of serious that we are building a Physio Co museum. And that is where we collect all the old stuff that we've had along the, along the way. And we will put it somewhere at some point in time. Mm. I love that idea of naming. Is it Marjorie and George? That's right. Yes. It really reminds people of what the business is about. It's about those old folk. I mean, and that, I suppose, draws it back to purpose and value straight away, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, and, and the little each of the rooms has got the name of the person and then a paragraph or two that describes them. And, and the room that's named after the person called George talks about his wife, Mavis, and he, a couple of the things that I remember from working with him. And, and that part of that story is documented in the Culture is Everything book as well but it's not just the name it's the story that goes with it and stories is a critical part of building a strong culture because the more stories we tell the, the more behaviors we influence by reinforcing what we're really looking for mm. and is this everything you do around culture set and defined by you or is are you quite collaborative in the way that you define the, the culture it's changed over time, Leanne. And so in the early days, it certainly was more of the Tristan-defined approach. And, and some people might say that my fingerprints are all over it still, and, and that probably is the case, but it certainly is more collaborative than it, than it used to be. And as the team has grown and I've grown as an individual, as a leader, as a communicator, I understand how I can get the best results and the best culture possible by embracing the people and the contribution that other people can make. It's ultimately as the CEO of the business, I have 
a significant say on how things are done, but there are much more smarter people than me in the team and being open enough, authentic enough, vulnerable enough to ask questions, listen closely, realise I could be wrong and then make the right decision based upon whatever the right decision is, whoever suggested it has certainly changed over the years. One of the things that I've noticed around culture and setting a culture that is predicated around well-being is having a fair amount of flexibility and a considerable amount of autonomy. Is that true of TPC? Yeah. And if so, how? I'm with you entirely. Having that, that freedom within boundaries idea that I mentioned earlier is so important in terms of the behaviours of a, of a team, but also of how a person feels about themselves and their own life and work life and having freedom to engage in a way that, that works for you is so very important to having a healthy and engaged team in my experience. Mm. And yes, there is a job that needs to be done. So the baseline is that the job needs to be done, but how it's done and the flexibility we have is very open. We encourage our team members to communicate with us in advance, proactively, in anything to change shifts or reorganise rosters in a, in a short-term or longer-term way. But based upon the idea that we do have senior people who do need to be helped to stay mobile, safe and happy, so making sure that we achieve that outcome but then doing it in a collaborative way which helps them to achieve their best work life I'm going to go with the word blend as opposed to balance, Leanne, because I think yeah. um, that's a more realistic approach. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't use the term work-life balance either. I use work-life blend. But what does that term mean to you, or that work-life blend? What does it mean practically? Yeah, so practically for me, it means being able to have the choice as to when I'm able to get my work done and when I'm able to engage in more family and personal things and and knowing full well that typically Monday to Friday, I'm a full-time CEO of the Physio Co. So my job is typically Monday to Friday. But by the same token, it's early morning here now. It's just after 6am in the morning. I've already been at my desk for a little while preparing for the day and getting some things done. And so there's early morning for me works. I'm not at home with my wife and little kids at the moment. So it's prime time for me to actually get some some good work done. Mm. By the same token, I work from home some days and therefore my focus is more, the work time is more when my kids are at school and therefore I can, um, I've got some flexibility as to when I invest big days of work when I'm not at home with my my family so I can have that flexibility, but smaller windows of work when I am working from home. And I think that blend works really well for me. Mm. I think it's an energy blend as well, isn't it? It's making sure that you've got sufficient energy for both work and for home. And the, the two have bled into each other so much now, particularly work leading to, you know, there are no longer factory hours or standard office hours. The black we put pay to that and then technology's taken us even more into a blended lifestyle. But I think it's about balancing those energies as well to make sure you stay sharp, stay focused, stay happy, you know, resilient to everything that's going on. Yeah. As your company has grown, you know, you've had pretty fast growth. How have you maintained the culture that you've built? Has it been tested and challenged as you've got bigger? Yeah, of course it has. It's tested and challenged most days, Leanne, and then that's <laughs> and the, the beauty of that is that we've got people that are asking questions who are, and who are engaged in, in helping us to live our core value of find a better way. Mm-hmm. And we are really looking at being better tomorrow than we are today. And so I think some of the ways that it's been tested is based upon the people within our business. And Jim Collins of the famous book, Good to Great, describes a culture as the sum of your people decisions. Mm. 
Mm. And I think as I look back over the last 15 years of being the physio co, the times we've had great, really buzzing cultures when we've made great people decisions and the times when we've been tested and challenged the most is when we, we may not have made the best people decisions. And so I think what we've learned is the importance of a really robust, repeatable recruitment process mm-hmm. and the importance of saying no to the wrong people to join our team because it's not just about fast growth, it's about fast growth with the right people joining us. Mm-hmm. And as Tony Shea from Zappos describes the wrong people as polluters, culture polluters, and I think that that's some I've experienced that absolutely on the way is the wrong people not aligned to purpose, values and vision are the ones who can cause the most challenge and has tested us along the way, Leanne. So I think that's probably the, the biggest test we've had. Cool. I want to just talk a bit about well-being. That's something that's very close to both the audience and to my heart. I mean, what is well-being? What does it mean to you? Hmm. It's a good question, Leanne. I'm not sure I've considered what well-being is for me, but I think I was asked recently what is happiness for me And my response to that is happiness to me is something that requires work. And I think there's short-term joy, which is wonderful when it arrives, but it can be quite fleeting depending on how it happens. But happiness being a foundation of well-being for me is something that requires work, it requires intention, and it requires a fairly high level of self-awareness as to sleep, diet, exercise, social interactions, and even things as, as simple For me, I'm a leader of a growing team and communicating with people is a critical part of my job. By the same token, I much prefer to spend my life on my own. Mostly I get energy from being on my own Mm. and I get zapped of energy by being with others. So understanding that is important to me and having the space to recharge is an important part of my well-being as well. Yeah, I think... Companies that build an amazing culture like TPC, like Zappos, which we've talked about, some other such companies, they will increasingly start to underpin well-being as a critical part of that culture and ultimately as a competitive advantage. To what degree have you done that sort of overtly, if you like? Yeah, I think, Liam, we haven't done it in a documented or we don't have a well-being strategy if you will and and perhaps it's not far away that we may well be more intentional about that what what we have done over a long period of time and and even before I realized what culture was I was forever engaging with my team members both personally and professionally to understand how they were how they really were what was important to them what goals they were working towards and or what challenges that they, they might have been struggling with and in the early days, I wasn't particularly skilled at communicating and connecting with people to, to build that relationship. And over time, I've got better and I've still got a way to go. But that's something that I've really encouraged and harnessed and coached others in our business to do is to be caring leaders and trustworthy followers for their team so that we really can get to know each other in a respectful and trustworthy way, which enables us then to share challenges that we are dealing with outside of work or in our personal lives, which can affect our professional lives. Mm. And, and I think that it might have been a bit more ad hoc than a, than a real, really clear well-being approach, but it's been very people-centred. And I think that that's the critical part of having a healthy team and healthy group of individuals is that we actively care and we don't just say we care we lean in and we check on each other and we help each other and then we also keep each other to account on what we have said that we will do because I think that it's all well and good to set a a well-being goal but if we don't 
actively move towards it in a supported but accountable way, then they can slip by the wayside pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, if someone's listening in and they're running a business, that's one thing, because I guess you dictate that culture and you can fairly easily try and change it not easily change it but easily attempt to mm-hmm. what if someone's listening in and then they were in a part of a bigger organization but they don't necessarily get to dictate the culture from the top what can they do to try and improve the culture maybe of their team if not the wider organization yeah so one of the defining defining factors of a healthy organization is a strong a high level of trust and so i think knowing that is one of the most powerful things that people can do and then acting on it. And so in organisations with a, with a what might be described as a bad culture or a crappy culture or a toxic culture are usually ones where there's a low level of trust. And so what I encourage people to do is as much braveness or courage as it will take, be the most trustworthy person that you can be and be a caring person who does keep their word. If you say you're going to do something, get it done and get it done well. And if you can't get it done on time, then communicate in advance to let people know that you've got a challenge and reset the deadline. And then secondly, and possibly with a smile, challenge people who aren't keeping their own word. And the second part is much harder and takes more courage. But firstly, be a person of your own word and a person that others can trust. And then once you've got that foundation, just very gradually start finding a way to maybe lightheartedly or or maybe in a way which does help to just gently nudge the culture towards a more trustworthy and caring place by reminding people that they said they'd get it done if that is an option in your business. And, And by doing those two things, by being trustworthy and then gently nudging and challenging others in a respectful way, we can build a circle of trust around you and therefore from small things we can build a stronger culture and we are in control of the culture around us. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I like that. I think that's empowering. You know, for anyone listening that doesn't run a business, and doesn't feel they can control the broader culture, there is something you can do in your own your own team or, or starting with yourself, which will then permeate yes. out to the people around you. Brilliant. So the book is called Culture is Everything. Mm-hmm. Podcast is Think Big, Act Small. Just tell us a little bit of where people can find out more about you, but specifically around that culture book as well that you say is, is online as a PDF. Where can people find that and anything else that you think would be useful? Yeah, so my personal home on the web is tristanwhite.com.au. So that's probably the best place to find my blog, the podcast, and certainly you can download a free chapter of the Culture Is Everything book. And probably and something that, that people may be interested in is there's also a Culture Is Everything checklist, which is the 19 steps to building a great place to work, which is part of the book, but people often like to grab that and use it as a bit of an audit tool to audit their own culture at this moment in time mm-hmm. and then see some opportunities to improve. So head over to tristanwhite.com.au for that one. Yep. And the other place is the physioco.com.au. That's the home of the Physioco, and that's where you can grab a copy of not only our culture books for the last few years, but also our painted picture vision, which is something we also publish, and that is our three-year vision as to what we're working towards because we think if we share our vision with the world, we can attract the right people to help bring us bring it to life. Yeah, brilliant. To finish then, you talked earlier about your 10-year vision. What is it? Can you share it with us? 
Yeah, so it's interesting time, Leah. We we set it that the first ten year obsession in two thousand and nine, which has just ended on the thirty first of December twenty eighteen, and that ten year obsession, which we've been tracking for for all those years, is to deliver two million unique and memorable consultations to our Australian to our senior clients. Right, and right now we're just over the ten year mark. And we've landed at about 1.76 million consultations we've delivered thus far. And it's likely at 30,000 consultations per month, we are very close to land. It's going to take us 11 years to achieve our 10-year obsession. And there's part of me that's a little bit disappointed and there's part of me that thinks that that is A-OK to be there in in 10 years. So that was our first 10-year obsession and we're just in the process of releasing and moving towards our next 10-year obsession. Right. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. That is a phenomenal number of consultations. To what was it? Keeping them warm, safe, happy, fit, safe, mobile, mobile, safe, mobile, safe, and happy. Yeah, it's an extraordinary number of consultations. So, congratulations on that. I'm very sure you'll get there in in the very near future. Brilliant, Tristan. Thanks very much for your time. We'll link to everything we've talked about in the show notes. I wish you all the best with the next phase of growth for the company. And you know what I like about that tenure obsession, by the way, is it has nothing to do with revenue. It has nothing to do with market share. It's all about delivering value to the client, which says a lot about your culture. Yeah, thanks, Leanne. Thanks for having me on as a guest. I've I've loved the chat and um, hopefully people have learned something about it. Great, great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on Take the Test. And it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.